So we go to the scripture uh, this morning. This is a, a beautiful story, and it has stories of healing. But there are two very interesting questions, and the question that undergirds the whole message this morning. Uh, it's a question asked, it looks like to Peter, but it really is to all of his disciples. You'll see that somewhere in the middle. See if we can find it. Today's reading is from Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 38. They came to Bethesda. Some people brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had put saliva on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Can you see anything? And the man looked up and said, I can see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he looked intently, and his eyesight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Then he sent him away to his home, saying, Do not even go into the village. Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of the Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others said, Eli, Elijah, and others still, one of the prophets. He asked them, But who do you say I am? And Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Holy wisdom, holy word. There's an intentionality about the direction that I'm going, and it is from your direction, not mine. This is the left Over there by the piano is the right, and the spectrum begins here and runs in a continuum all the way through every one of these music stands all the way to the piano. On the left, I'm going to be reading about a group that stands about here on the left as far as it comes to faith. Over there, to some extent, the extreme right, but there are always, you know, on every spectrum, those who go beyond the places that I talk about. Let me begin here on the left, and I'm calling this the five pulpits of Christianity. With this first group, 
I identify them as Christian zealots, prophetic, progressive Christians. More often than not, their guiding scripture comes from Isaiah 61 and the Gospel of Matthew, where he quotes this about himself. It reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has appointed me. God has sent me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release for the captives, and to liberate anyone who is oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vindication for our God. This group who would follow this pulpit, who recognize Christ from this place, these are self-identified progressive Christians. They are political, social justice, social action-oriented, passion, and again, action-oriented followers of Christ. They see this as the most accurate portrayal of Jesus, and so they seek to follow. I will use we. We, as representatives of Jesus, they would say, need to stand in solidarity with those seeking a $15 wage or at least a living wage. Jesus would. We need to make sure that we provide a place for Tent City. Jesus would. We need to challenge the political figures and become the voice for the poor and the outcast. Jesus would. And when we say, everybody is welcome, we really mean everybody to the point of some becoming reconciling congregations, those that wave the rainbow flag above the congregation and they openly welcome anyone in the LGBTQ community. Those standing in this pulpit are absolutely willing and sometimes hopeful to be arrested for social justice issues, particularly to bring attention and to the forefront a political focus on injustice. Some are what are called liberation theological followers. They see their role as bringing liberation for the poor from, pro from poverty, liberation of injustice from the society, liberation from a lack of peace to a place of peace. They see this as a role in their communities and in the world. And as I said, often the guiding scripture that directs them is that scripture from Isaiah 61. And the gospel where Jesus quotes that Isaiah scripture and talks about it being fulfilled in their presence. Jesus, according to this group, is the liberation activist and one certainly worthy of following. The call of God is that we as followers do what is listed in those words. Jesus was killed because he was willing to put his life on the line for the poor and for the oppressed. To call out those who would cause harm, including Rome and the temple authorities, the political figures of that time. This group would say, we are absolutely called to do the same as followers of this man. Those who choose to do otherwise are missing the whole point of the gospel. That is a quote. They must change if they are to truly call themselves Christians. So the challenge for this group is that their voices can become shrill, be perceived as deeply judgmental, and move beyond some of the more loving aspects of Jesus. The love has a focus, but the focus can sometimes be seen as very narrow. Don't get me wrong, for the work they do is vitally important. Just maybe this is where you stand on the spectrum of Christianity and identify most readily with this Christ, might this pulpit best represent your response to the question of Jesus? Who do you say that I am?
The second group would be called more moderate, love your neighbor as yourself, progressive Christians. Their guiding scripture can be found in Matthew 22, 34 through 40, often called the first and greatest commandment. It reads, it also comes out of Deuteronomy. And teacher, says one of the Pharisees, what is the greatest of the commandments in the law? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And the second is like it. You must love your neighbor as you love yourself. All of the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. As followers of Jesus, this group sees that they are most defined by taking seriously the second part of the first or greatest commandment. They love their neighbor. They serve others most often through organizations that provide for the poor, the oppressed, and yet do not see themselves as necessarily directly involved politically. They seek to love their neighbors because that's what Jesus did. The political action they seek happens most often at the voting booth or in going to an already established organization or location that feeds or houses the poor. Most often they don't march. They have no interest in being arrested. They would much rather take quiet action, but they do take action, and it is needed action. As far as their theology, their overall study, or coming to terms with the belief about Jesus, that kind of deeper study is often a bit more secondary in their Christian priorities than helping others. Many in this group believe that to serve others, to love your neighbor as you love yourself, is to be Christian. It is the singular most important aspect of faith. One of the challenges in this group can be that loving your neighbor may not necessarily mean being in an intimate relationship with that neighbor. The neighbor, or the homeless, the disenfranchised, the hungry, the freer reduced lunch kids at the neighboring school are often kept somewhat at a distance. They don't know them well, but they are nonetheless the neighbor within this gospel message. Beyond that, service being Christian doesn't necessarily require some certain set of beliefs other than helping others, doesn't really require any conversion experience with a certain time or date or age attached to it. Being Christian means you attend worship at least as often as possible. And often for this group, worship is as much about relationships in or at the church as it is a relationship with Christ. Now, don't get me wrong here. They feel as though both are important. The support they receive to go and love their neighbors comes as much from those relationships as it does from God. They don't often carry a lot of Bible knowledge that seems less important to them, but they do take action, and the actions they take, as I said, are vitally important. Maybe this is where you stand on the spectrum of Christ or Christianity, and this is the more accurate response to the question by Jesus Who do you say that I am? Found yourself yet? This third group finds themselves smack dab in the middle of the Christian faith. I would call them the mainline, in need of receiving, middle of the road followers. Defining scripture could be, for we are the body of Christ and we are made up of many parts. And all are parts of the body because we are part of one body. We were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free. We were all given one spirit from which we can gain strength and nourishment. We are the body of Christ, and all are a part of it. 
This group is the middle of the road, take things as they come, Christians. This group is really happy to be together on a Sunday morning, and yet would rather not rock the boat. They see the church as a family and a place to gather, hear inspirational words, sing songs or hymns or spiritual songs, catch up with each other, pray together and worship God, and in some cases, whatever God may mean. If you ask their opinion about God, they're just not really sure how to answer that question. They see themselves as lifelong explorers and learners of the gospel, of faith, of religion, or Christianity. Or in some cases, they really don't want to share what they believe or how they feel for fear of stepping on toes. At times, their underlying focus can fall into two primary categories, two parts. Usually it's one or the other. The first is that they know they should worship, so as often as they can, they do worship. They are in the sanctuary to receive. Receive motivation, receive inspiration, receive something that helps them get through their week. Receive good music, whether from a praise team or choir, organ, band, or soloist, or piano. They want to be challenged, but not too much. They may be open and accepting, but don't want to become too vocal about any of that. Now, the second group within this place, this pulpit, may be seeking the church and worship as a place of comfort, a sanctuary from the rest of life. They know they need it. They need the church to be an escape from whatever is going on in their lives. They need healing, and this is the place where it can be received. In some cases, they need to rebuild trust, rebuild faith, rebuild life, and found that this place, this church, this sanctuary is the place to do that. In either case, they absolutely do not want to hear anything political from the pulpit and certainly don't want the picture of their pastor on the front page of the paper as he or she is being arrested for a stand that they took. <laughs> Just saying To some extent, at least a part of this group could be seen as Christian consumers, and I don't want that to sound judgmental or negative at all. It's what they need. What they need right now is to receive the love, receive the grace, receive the forgiveness, receive the message, receive the Bible study, the friendships, and even in the midst of that, a small challenge. But the challenge for this group is to move beyond it, either direction. It can be a very, very comfortable place to be. Friends, we all need healing at some level. We all need to feel good about who we are and where we are. The danger here is getting too comfortable in this place. Jesus was a great healer. Of that there is no doubt. But he was also a man of incredible action. The complaint about those of us in the mainline churches, among the complaints, is that we stand right here. And standing here means we don't take stands. We don't know who we are. We're so open and accepting that we become indefinable and take very little action. But right now, at this time in your life, maybe this is where you need to be on the spectrum of Christ and Christianity. And this is how you would respond from this place, the question of Jesus. Who do you say that I am? As I moved to the right, the fourth group 
are what I would call the moderate, more modern, often young evangelicals with social action tendencies. Again, I tried to find an acronym for this one. I, it just it doesn't work. <laughs> but it's a really interesting group. A combination of scriptures define this group. Which scripture really depends on the specific church they attend, how they view themselves as Christians or even as evangelicals. Part of it may be may even depend on the specific areas geographically where they're located. Some of the scriptures that would, in, would include things like Matthew's Beatitudes or Galatians in the full armor of God, the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, or James and his comments about faith without action being a dead faith. They seem to have a particular focus on bringing spiritual peace to those around them. And I will tell you, having spent a lot of time with guys like Rick Warren at Saddleback, it's been interesting to watch Rick move from where he was much more over here to where I would define him now in this place because of the call that he got one night to serve those with AIDS in Africa. Even Brian McLaren could be right here. They don't often see themselves as political, but they can be. They see themselves as spiritual and answering the call of Christ to be the hands and feet of Christ in the world. They do believe in saving souls, but realize that saving lives has to work in combination with the soul. Some believe in hell, others do not. It's not about that for some. It's not so much about avoiding hell, it is about finding peace, and it is through Christ that true peace can be found. They truly believe, on that note, that there is nowhere that can bring the peace that can be brought by a relationship with Jesus Christ. Nowhere in the world and no one else can bring that kind of peace. They believe that the power of God is the greatest power in the universe. They believe that there is evil and the evil can be personified. Satan is a very real force that seeks to draw others away from God and Jesus. Thus the need for the full armor of God. They believe that one has to make a conscious choice to follow Christ. Without making that specific choice, one opens oneself up to the dangers of the world, of Satan, and of evil. They believe that the world was created by a benevolent God and that that same peace that existed in the Garden of Eden is available today for everyone who makes the choice to follow Christ. The world would be better, more balanced, more peaceful, if only everyone would choose Christ. That is the evangelical part of who they are. At the same time, they see Jesus as a role model for helping others. They are action-oriented, can be found throughout the world. Those who start orphanages in third world countries, of feeding the hungry, seeking to answer epidemics that, that, and pandemics that happen in the world. They're in the world trying to create clean water and bringing medical care and education to places where they may not already exist. They are unapologetic when they talk about offering those things because of their relationship with Christ. This group believes that Christians must win the right to be heard by taking these actions, thus the actions. It's why they're not allowed in places like northern China or any communist country because of their belief. But some will risk bringing that gospel message to some of the more dangerous places. I've lost three or four friends because of their stands in those kinds of places. In many ways, they are a kind of hybrid, but don't misunderstand. The word evangelical has to be in here 
it is all about Jesus. Everything they do, everything they offer is about going into all the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. Like the others, there are dangers in the midst of this. The danger is that they can be mistrust or being misunderstood. They can be seen as cloaking the gospel in good works as a manipulative tactic. And then when they believe the population is ripe to then talk about the gospel, heaven and their own theology. It can be a somewhat slippery slope. Those who seem to be most successful communicate up front what they are doing and why. So maybe this is where you see yourself and that this is the most accurate description of what your response would be to the question, who do you say that I am? Now further to the right. The fifth and final group for this presentation, and again, there are others beyond here. In a study that I did in seminary, I found 27 different, and that's basically from here to to that one, 27 different definitions of Christianity in the middle. This is on the right. This fifth and final group are what many call the evangelical fundamentalists. They are often perceived by the first group, that one over there, as the enemy. They also, sometimes, that group perceives this group as the enemy. Their guiding scripture, scriptures plural, include excerpts from Genesis 3 and then ultimately things like John 3.16 and the additional, the only way to the Father is through Jesus or through me, as he says. For instance, here's one example. Genesis 3, did God really say that you shouldn't eat from any tree in the garden? Then the serpent said, go and eat, for you will not die, as God has told you. You will become like God, knowing good from evil. The woman saw that the tree was beautiful, took the fruit and ate it and offered it to her husband. He also ate. God saw what they had done and said, because you disobeyed me and ate of the tree from which I forbade you to eat, Cursed you will be. God drove them from the garden for eternity as punishment because of their disobedience. Then comes the response. This is why Jesus came for this group. For God so loved the world that he offered up his only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The only way back to the Father after this First sin is through me, Jesus. This group sees their role as saving souls. That is their primary role. Jesus is the only way to the Father, the only way to eternal life in heaven, the only way to overcome the curse of God that sent Adam and Eve from the garden and therefore the curse that followed. Original sin is what they call it. They have seven specific scriptures to which they most readily adhere Many of this group believe the Bible to be inerrant. It is factual, true, and must be followed to the letter of the law, and by that they mean both Old and New Testament. The Bible was written by God. For instance, members of this group, many can, in fact, quote chapter and verse Leviticus and Romans and argue that something like homosexuality is not only a terrible sin and a healable malady, but that those who practice it are doomed to hell unless healed. Jesus came to earth to save sinners, pure and simple. Jesus was the sacrifice, 
that covered us humanity with his blood so that we might have a relationship with God. Again, what began with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, meaning Adam's and Eve's original sin of listening to the serpent, eating the forbidden fruit, completely changed the way that God viewed all of humanity. God rejected them, and therefore us created significant consequences around that sin, and then, without question, absolutely rejected humanity from that day forward. And that rejection continues to this day. Anyone, and I mean anyone, who does not confess Jesus as Lord and Savior of their lives will be thrown into the pits of hell for all eternity, eternity at death. It's called substitutional atonement. Jesus died for you so that you might be reunited and live forever with God in the heavenly realm where there is no suffering, strife, or discord. You've got basically one lifetime to make that commitment. So make that commitment, they would say. Come to the altar, confess your sins and shortcomings, proclaim Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and be born again. Remember that God loves you so much that he gave his only son to suffer for humanity, die on a cross. We were bought by a price of his blood. So recognize that, accept that gift of overwhelming grace, and rise again at death to be with Christ, with God in heaven. It is that simple. Just a little bit more on this group. Believe some, especially as you move this direction. Believe that the roles of men and women and children can be found in the New Testament, like women should not be allowed to speak in church or teach or preach. There's so much more, but here's the danger of this group. The danger of this group is to forget the second part of the greatest commandment, to love your neighbor as you love yourself, the whole idea of love. To see the whole gospel of Jesus teaching, healing, confronting the political oppressors and to get focused on saving souls that sometimes the rest of the gospel becomes lost. I will share that there is a movement afoot by those professing this faith to serve the poor, to fight injustice, to see that those who may believe as the other four groups believe, what the other four groups believe, that, that they have merit. But what I will also say is this group standing at this pulpit, not the one sitting, the one that I am going to refer to is way beyond you and out the window going to the right are those that would take the Koran and pile it up and burn it. Friends, here's a part of the spectrum, and the danger of this is that you pigeonhole any one of these. I want to say again, it is a spectrum. And I want to ask you again, where do you see yourself? Where do you see yourself on this spectrum? I will confess to you, I confess, I will say to you that I find myself really readily right here with some of this thrown in. I'm kind of a hybrid between these two. I want you to take just a moment to just look again and hear of what began at the left and the moderate left to the middle to the moderate right to the right even to the extreme right and to the extreme left. Where do you stand? And it has to begin with that statement and your response to that question. Jesus asking every single one of us, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Let me close with this. I, 
I think many of you are aware now that I developed this five-page survey, um, and I will just assure you that I'm not going to ask you to sign it. <laughs> uh, you can if you want. Um, it's going to be a pre-kind of survey for my classes on Wednesdays, Wednesday morning and Wednesday evening. I've made 40 copies of this. I don't know how many are left over there, but it looks like a fair amount. If you would like to take one of these home, and I've, I've sent this out to about six to eight people, and the, what they've come back with is, yeah, it's, it's a little overwhelming, and at the same time, it's been really helpful to find out where I stand in my relationship with Christ or what I understand Christ to be. So I want to invite you to do this, because here's the deal. In June, I'm going to come back and basically preach the same sermon, and I'm going to hand this out again so that we can see if throughout this year-long study of Christ, whether or not we have changed in our attitudes or understandings or our beliefs. A pre- and post-test, if you will. But I want to invite you to take one of these, if you will. And I would also like to save paper and am happy to send this to you online. I love saving trees in the Northwest. So, who do you say? Who do you, well, that's, who do you say that he is?